Section 3 of A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by a Gentleman on His Travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by Sarah Scott. The History of Miss Mansell and Mrs. Morgan, Part 1 You may perhaps think I am presuming on your patience when I lead you into a nursery or a boarding school. But the life of Louisa Mansell was so early checkered with that various fate which gives this world a motley appearance of joy and sorrow, pain and pleasure, that it is not in my power to pass over the events of her infancy. I shall, however, spare you all that is possible and recommend her to your notice only when she attracted the observation of Mr. Hintman. This gentleman, hearing that a person who rented some land of him was come to London, and lodged at one of those public houses, which by the landlord is called an inn, at the outskirts of London, on the Surrey side, and having some occasion to speak to him, he went thither. The people of the house called the man Mr. Hintman inquired for, who immediately came downstairs, wiping tears from his eyes, the continuance of which he could hardly restrain. Mr. Hintman, asking the reason of those appearances of sorrow, the good-natured old man told him his visit had called him from a scene which had shocked him excessively. The first day I came here, said he, I was induced by the frequent groans which issued from the next chamber to inquire who lodged there. I learned it was a gentlewoman who arrived the day before, and was immediately taken so ill that they apprehended her life in danger, and about two hours ago the maid of the house ran into my room, begging me to come to her assistance, for the gentlewoman was in such strong fits she was not able to hold her. I obeyed the summons, and found the poor woman in fits indeed, but what appeared to me the last agonies of a life, which near exhausted, lavishes away its small remains in strong convulsions. By her bedside stood the most beautiful child I ever beheld, in appearance about ten years of age, crying as if its little heart would break, not with the rage of an infant, but with the settled grief of a person mature both in years and affliction. I asked her if the poor dying woman was her mother. She told me no, she was only her aunt, but to her the same as a mother, and she did not know any one else that would take care of her. After a time the poor woman's convulsions left her. She just recovered sense enough to embrace the lovely girl and cry out, Oh, my dear child, what will become of you? A friendless, helpless infant. And seeing me to her bedside, she lifted up her hands in a suppliant posture, and with eyes that petitioned in stronger terms than words could express. Oh, sir, said she, though you are a stranger to me, yet I see you are not so to humanity. Take pity on this forlorn child. Her amiable disposition will repay you in this world, and the great father of us all will reward you in the next, for your compassion on a wretched, friendless girl. But why do I call her friendless? Her innocence has the best of friends in heaven. The Almighty is a parent she is not left to seek for. He is never absent. 
oh blessed lord cried she with a degree of ecstasy and confidence which most sensibly affected us all to thy care i resign her thy tender mercies are over all thy works and thou who carest for the smallest part of thy creation will not deny her thy protection o lord defend her innocence let her obtain a place in thy kingdom after death and for all the rest i submit to thy providence not presumptuously pretend to dictate to supreme wisdom thou art a gracious father and the afflictions thou sendest are here her voice failed her but by her gestures we could perceive the continued praying and having before taken the child in her arms the little angel continued there for fear of disturbing her by looks sometimes turned towards the poor infant and sometimes with her hand on her own heart and then her eyes lifted up as if it were to heaven we saw she mixed prayers for the little mourner with intercessions for herself till sense and motion seemed to fail her she then fell into a convulsion and expired the little girl perceived she was dead and became almost as senseless as the lump of clay which had so lately been her only friend we had but just taken her from the body sir when you came and this was the occasion of the emotions you observed in me the cause was indeed sufficient replied mr hintman but i am glad your sorrow proceeded from nothing more immediately concerning yourself misery will strike its arrows into a humane heart but the wounds it makes are not so lasting as those which are impressed by passions that are more relative to ourselves oh sir said the old man you cannot form an adequate idea of the effect this scene must have on every spectator except you had seen the child surely nature never forms so lovely a creature he continued his praises of louisa till at length he excited mr hintman's curiosity who expressing a desire of seeing this miracle he was carried up into the good man's room to which they had removed her she who had cried most bitterly before the fatal stroke arrived was now so oppressed as not to be able to shed a tear they had put her on the bed where she lay sighing with a heart ready to break her eyes fixed on one point she neither saw nor heard though her countenance expressed unalterable woe yet she looked so extremely beautiful that mr hintman highly as his expectation had been raised was struck with surprise he allowed he never saw anything so lovely and the charms of which her melancholy might deprive her were more than compensated in his imagination by so strong a proof of extreme sensibility at an age when few children perceive half the dreadful consequences of such a misfortune he advised that she should be blooded to prevent any ill effects from so severe a shock for as she felt it as strongly as one of a more mature age the same precautions should be used in this he was obeyed and it gave her such relief that she burst into a flood of tears a change which appeared so salutary that mr hintman would not immediately interrupt her but his curiosity did not suffer him long to forbear asking her name and many other particulars several of which she could not answer all the account she was able to give of herself was that her name was mansell that the person for whom she grieved was her aunt 
but had had the sole care of her from her earliest remembrance. This aunt, she said, had often told her she had a father and mother living, but when she inquired why she never saw or heard from them, she could get no satisfactory answer, but was put off with being told they were not in England, and that she should know when she grew older. This person had bred her up with the utmost tenderness, and employed the most assiduous care in her education, which was the principal object of her attention. They had lived in a neat cottage in the most retired part of Surrey, from Miss Mansell's earliest remembrance, till her aunt, after having been some time in a bad state of health, fell into a galloping consumption. As soon as she apprehended the danger with which her life was threatened, she prepared everything for her removal to London, but as she did not expect ever to return, this took more time than the quickness of her decay could well allow. The hasty approach of her dissolution affected her extremely on the account of her little niece, and she often expressed her concern in terms intelligible to her who was the occasion of it, who gathered from the expressions which fell from her aunt that the motive for the journey was to find out some of Miss Mansell's relations, to whom she might deliver her before death had put a period to her own life, and where she might safely remain till the return of her parents into England. In this resolution she discharged the only servant she kept, delivered up her house to her landlord, and after having settled all her pecuniary affairs, she set out on her journey with her little charge, but grew so ill on the road that she desired to be set down at the first inn, and her illness increased so fast she had no thought of removing, nor was she able to make any very exact inquiries after the persons of whom she came in search. This account was interrupted with many tears, which served to render it more affecting, and Mr. Hintman, as much touched as the good old man who was the occasion of his having heard it, agreed with him that it would be proper to examine into the effects of which the deceased was then possessed, and to see if they could find any paper which would in a degree clear up the mysterious part of this affair. This was accordingly performed, but as to the latter intention without any success, for after all the examination they could make, they remained as much in the dark as ever. They found in her trunk rather more money than was requisite to bury her in a manner becoming her rank, to defray the expenses of her sickness and to reward those that had attended her. The old man expressed a willingness to take the child. He said it was a legacy left him by one who had conceived some confidence in his humanity, and he could not in conscience disappoint an opinion which did him honour. Though having children of his own, he did not pretend to breed her up in the genteel manner to which he seemed by birth entitled. Mr. Hintman replied that he should have great reason to reproach himself if with the ample fortune he enjoyed and having no children or family to partake of it, he should suffer another to take that charge to whom it could not be so convenient. He therefore would immediately receive her as his child and see her educated in all accomplishments proper for a young person of fashion and fortune, as he should be able to supply all deficiency if necessary in the latter particular. The old man was very glad to have the child better established than with him, though he had for some hours looked with so much pleasure on her as his adopted daughter, 
that no consideration but the prospect of her greater advantage could have reconciled him to parting with her in pursuance of the resolution mr hintman had taken he carried miss mansell to a french boarding-school which he had heard commended very prudently judging that his house was not a proper place for education having there no one fit to take care of a young person louisa was so oppressed by the forlornness of her situation that she felt none of that reluctance to going amongst strangers so usual with children of her age all the world was equally unknown to her therefore she was indifferent where she was carried only she rather wished not to have been taken from the good old man whose venerable aspect and compassionate behaviour had in some degree attached her to him but she felt the generosity of mr hintman's declared intentions and young as she was had too much delicacy to appear ungrateful by shewing an unwillingness to accompany him mademoiselle de vaux the mistress of the school was pleased with the appearance of her young scholar whose tears had ceased for some time and her face bore no disfiguring signs of sorrow the dejection which overspread it giving charms equal to those of which it robbed it mr hintman desired mademoiselle de vaux to take the trouble of providing miss mansell with all the things requisite and to put her in proper mourning those minute feminine details being things of which he was too ignorant to acquit himself well and gave strict charge that her mind should be cultivated with the greatest care and no accomplishment omitted which she was capable of acquiring what contributed much towards gratifying that wish of mr hintman's was mademoiselle de vaux's house being so full there was no room for louisa but a share of the apartment which miss melvin had hitherto enjoyed alone and of which she could not willingly have admitted any one to partake but the lovely child who was presented to her for this purpose her beautiful form prejudiced every one in her favour but the distress and sorrow which were impressed on her countenance at an age generally too volatile and thoughtless to be deeply affected could not fail of exciting a tender sensibility in the heart of a person of miss melvin's disposition this young lady was of a very peculiar turn of mind she had been the darling daughter of sir charles and lady melvin whose attachment to her had appeared equal but in the former it was rather the result of habit and compliance with lady melvin's behaviour than a deep-rooted affection of which his heart was not very susceptible while lady melvin's arose from that entire fondness which maternal love and the most distinguishing reason could excite in the warmest and tenderest of hearts sir charles was an easy-tempered weak man who gave no proof of good sense but the secret deference he had to his wife's judgment whose very superior understanding was on nothing so assiduously employed as in giving consequence to the man with whom she was united by the desire of her parents contrary to her inclination their authority had been necessary to reduce her to compliance not from any particular dislike to sir charles who had deservedly the reputation of sobriety and great good-nature and whose person was remarkably fine but lady melvin perceived the weakness of his understanding and ignorant of the strength of her own was unwilling to enter into life without a guide whose judgment was equal to the desire he might naturally be supposed to have to direct her right 
through all the various paths in which she might be obliged to walk, an assistant she had always expected from her husband, and thought even a necessary part of that character. She was besides sensible of the difficulty of performing a promise so solemnly made, as that of honour and obedience to one who, though she knew not half of her own excellence, she must be sensible was her inferior. These reasons had deterred Lady Melvin from marrying Sir Charles, but when she could no longer avoid it without violating her duty to her parents, she resolved to supply the apparent deficiencies in her husband's understanding by most respectful deference to his opinions, thus conferring distinction on him, whom she wished every one to esteem and honour. For as there was no affectation in this part of her conduct, any more than in the rest of her behaviour, all were convinced that the man who was respected by a woman of an understanding so superior to most of her own sex, and the greatest part of the other, must have great merit, though they could not perceive wherein it consisted. In company, Lady Melvin always endeavoured to turn the conversation on such subjects as she knew were best suited to Sir Charles's capacity, more desirous that he should appear to advantage than to display her own talents. She contrived to make all her actions appear the result of his choice, and whatever he did by her instigation seemed even to himself to have been his own thought. As their way of life was in every circumstance consonant to reason, religion, and every virtue which could render them useful and respectable to others, Sir Charles acquired a character in the neighbourhood which Lady Melvin thought a sufficient reward for the endeavours she used to secure it to him, and for that purpose fixed her abode entirely in the country, where his conduct might give him the respect which would not be so easily obtained in a gayer scene, where talents are in higher estimation than virtue. Sir Charles and Lady Melvin had no other child than the daughter I have mentioned, whose education was her mother's great care, and she had the pleasure of seeing in her an uncommon capacity, with every virtue the fondest parent could wish, and which indeed she had by inheritance, but her mother's humility made them appear to her as a peculiar gift of providence to her daughter. Lady Melvin soon began to instil all the principles of true religion into her daughter's infant mind, and by her judicious instructions gave her knowledge far superior to her years, which was indeed the most delightful task of this fond parent, for her daughter's uncommon docility and quick parts, continually stimulated by her tenderness for the best of mothers, made her improve even beyond Lady Melvin's expectation. In this happy situation, Miss Melvin continued till near the end of her fourteenth year, when she had the misfortune to lose this excellent parent, nor was she the only sufferer by Lady Melvin's death. Every poor person within her knowledge lost a benefactress. All who knew her, an excellent example, and some the best of friends. But her extraordinary merit was but imperfectly known till after her decease, for she had made Sir Charles appear so much the principal person and director of all their affairs, that till the change in his conduct proved how great her influence had been, she had only shared the approbation, which afterwards became all her own. Human nature cannot feel a deeper affliction than now overwhelm Miss Melvin, 
wherein Sir Charles bore as great a share as the easiness of his nature was capable of. But his heart was not susceptible, either of strong or lasting impressions. He walked in the path Lady Melvin had traced out for him, and suffered his daughter to imitate her mother in benevolent duties, and she had profited too much by the excellent pattern whereby she had endeavoured to regulate her actions, not to acquit herself far beyond what could have been expected at her years. Miss Melvin was not long indulged in the only consolation her grief could receive, that of being permitted to aim at an imitation of her mother, for Sir Charles had not been a widower quite a year when he married a young lady in the neighbourhood, who had designed him this honour from the hour of Lady Melvin's death, and to procure better opportunity for effecting her purpose, had pretended a most affectionate compassion for Miss Melvin's deep affliction. She visited her continually, and appeared so tenderly attached to her, that Miss Melvin, who had neither experience nor any guile in her own heart, to inspire her with suspicions of an attempt to deceive her, made that return of affection which she thought gratitude required. Nor was she at all disturbed, when she found she was soon to look on this lady in another light than that in which she had hitherto seen her. It was easy for her to respect one whom she before loved, and she had been taught so true a veneration for her father that she felt no averseness to obey whomsoever he thought proper to give a title to her duty. Miss Melvin had but very little time to congratulate herself on having acquired for a mother a friend, in whose conversation she hoped to enjoy great satisfaction, and to feel the tenderness of an intimate changed into the fondness of a parent. She behaved to her with the same perfect respect, and all the humility of obedience, as if nature had placed her in that parental relation, fearing, if she gave way to the familiarity which had subsisted between them when they were on an equality, it might appear like a failure in the reverence due to her new situation. But this behaviour, amiable as it was, could not make the new Lady Melvin change the plan she had formed for her future conduct. She had not been married above a month before she began to intimate to Sir Charles that Miss Melvin's education had been very imperfect, that a young lady of her rank ought to be highly accomplished, but that after she had been so long indulged by her parents, if a stepmother were to pretend to direct her, it might not only exasperate Miss Melvin, but prejudice the world against herself, as people are too apt to determine against persons in that relation, without examining the merits of the cause. And though, she said, she was little concerned about the opinion of the world in comparison with her tender regard for any one that belonged to him, yet she was much influenced by the other reason she had alleged for not appearing to dictate to Miss Melvin, being very desirous of keeping on affectionate terms with her, and she was already much mortified at perceiving that young lady had imbibed too many of the vulgar prejudices against a stepmother, though for her part she had endeavoured to behave with submission to her daughter, instead of pretending to assume any authority. The consequence and conclusion of all these insinuations was that it would be advisable to send Miss Melvin to a boarding school. Sir Charles was soon prevailed with to comply with his lady's request, 
and his daughter was acquainted with the determination which lady melvin assured her was very contrary to her inclination he should find a great loss of so agreeable a friend but that sir charles had declared his intention in so peremptory a manner that she dared not contend miss melvin had before observed that marriage had made a great alteration in lady melvin's behaviour but this was a stroke she did not expect and a very mortifying one to her who had long laid aside all childish amusements had been taught to employ herself as rationally as if she had arrived at a maturer age and been indulged in the exercise of a most benevolent disposition having given such good proofs of the propriety with which she employed both her time and money that she had been dispensed from all restraints and now to commence a new infancy and be confined to the society of children was a very afflicting change but it came from a hand she too much respected to make any resistance though she easily perceived that it was entirely at her mother's instigation and knew her father too well to believe he could be peremptory on any occasion a very short time intervened between the declaration and execution of this design and miss melvin was introduced to mademoiselle de vaux by her kind stepmother who with some tears and many assurances of regret left her there miss melvin had been at this school three months when louisa mansell was brought thither and though a separation from her father she sincerely loved and the fear of the arts lady melvin might use to alienate his affections from her after having thus removed her from his presence greatly affected her spirits and she found no companions fit to amuse her rational mind yet she endeavoured to support her mortifications with all the cheerfulness she could assume and received some satisfaction from the conversation of mademoiselle de vaux a woman of tolerable understanding and he was much pleased with miss melvin's behaviour miss mansell's dejected air prejudiced miss melvin much in her favour the usual consequence of a similitude of mind or manners and when by a further knowledge of her she perceived her uncommon share of understanding her desire to learn the strength of her application the quickness of her apprehension and her great sweetness of temper she grew extremely fond of her and as miss mansell's melancholy rendered her little inclined to play with those of her own age she was almost always with miss melvin who found great pleasure in endeavouring to instruct her and grew to feel for her the tenderness of a mother while miss mansell began to receive consolation from experiencing an affection quite maternal end of section three recording by florence